You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. We are brought to you by Mocked Out today. I've told you about them before. I did a mock draft through their site, and I will do further ones going forward. I'll tell you more about them later. But right now, we got to get to my buddy, Mike Sando. He joins us every Thursday. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Matt? I'm swell. Um, last week, we touched on the Russell Wilson situation, and your neck of the woods seems to be escalating, and I think it's something we need to discuss. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all anyone talks about here in Seattle. I mean, I geez, um, I was talking to... Uh, Somebody yesterday who who does a you know does a radio show uh, in town and he was like, "God, good thing the Mariners are hot because otherwise it would be at literally twenty five hours a day Russell Wilson when there's nothing really going on." Is that the story though that there's nothing going on? I mean, it just seems to me that the team should have come out by now and say we have every intention of signing him. He's our man. We're in love with him. The, the quietness is a little concerning or a little odd. Yeah, yeah. I think what we need to see is is once uh, there's, you know, media opportunities with uh, the head coach and that type of stuff. I feel like right now there's a little bit of jousting going on between the team and the agent, right? And those relationships can feel personal sometimes. And I, I think that, you know, from the team standpoint, the agent's trying to stir stuff up. And from the agent standpoint, Hey, this is Russell Wilson. You need to be doing something. So that's why that April 15 deadline got out. You know, I, I think it made it a story. And whether it's a real deadline or a fake deadline, it's made it topical. So we'll just see how long the team can, can hold out on it. I don't know that a, you know, a, a ton has changed. I mean, I don't, there's not a real deadline. There's nothing they have to do right now. But, uh, you know, at what point do you say something just because everyone else is talking about it? Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of peculiar. Um, I was listening to a podcast with Will Brinson and Jason Lockafor, and Jason also put out an article, and they're very far-fetched about what it would, if, if Wilson were to move, what kind of situations would it be? And it was things like, and I don't want to put it in words in his mouth, but it was like Arizona would send the first overall pick to, to Seattle, or the Giants would package picks to Seattle, and... Just for fun, I threw out last night, what if the Giants said, here's our early first, here's our early second, here's next year's first. Could we at least sit down at the table and have that conversation? Yeah, you know, I, I think Seattle really wants picks. You know, John Schneider, their GM, has has not hidden that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't have a second this year. They only have four picks overall. I don't think that necessarily means you trade your quarterback to get picks. You have right. to have someone else, you know, at that position – you have to have someone else you like. And, and it's easy revisionist history to say that they loved Russell Wilson when they drafted him, but they didn't know for sure what he was going <laughs> to be. You know what I mean? I mean, they, the had Matt, they, they were throwing darts at the, at the board a little bit. They loved him, but, you know, they had just paid Matt Flynn, um, you know, not too long before that. They had gone after Charlie Whitehurst. So they know as well as anyone how hard it is to have the next guy lined up. I think it's really easy in theory to say, well, you just draft a guy, go young and cheap at the position. But if it were that easy, then you'd see the Eagles moving on from Wentz and the Rams, Rams moving on right. from Goff. And, you know, Seattle wouldn't have re-signed Wilson. But it's just, it's not really how it 
works unless you're having uh, discussion in theory. Yeah, and I look at Seattle and think, in in a way, they were the first team to maximize that situation of a really cheap rookie quarterback, and they know better than anyone how valuable that could be, but it's not like it's a big secret. The other 31 teams haven't figured that out by now. And, you know, sure, it'd be nice to get a wealth of draft picks, but that doesn't mean they're going to turn into Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Averill, Bennett, you know, Wagner... Sherman, you know, on on down the road, ten Pro Bowl type defensive players to build around. Well, no one knows it. No one can predict accurately whether a quarterback who's played in college is going to be good in the pros. So that until that can be done, you know, unless you're drafting, going to get the, you know, a pick for Andrew Luck or something, um, then why are you doing it? You know, uh, what, what are you going to do? Just get go be below average at the position and try to win seven games. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And, however, there's one red flag that sticks out to me in this whole situation. Is A year ago, we heard Seattle was asking the Colts about Jacoby Brissett. And probably a lot of people are out there like, Matt, would you stop with Jacoby Brissett? Or, <sighs> man, he's just a backup. He's the 30th best quarterback in the league. I just think differently. I think they are sitting on a gem behind luck that Brissett could be if I was the, the if I was Seattle and I was actually considering moving on from Wilson and I could turn a second round pick into Brissett, I think I'm not saying he's as good as Russell Wilson. I'm just saying that guy can be a valuable, valuable young starter. He's a free agent after this year. I bet he makes a lot of money, and I bet the league agrees with me more than my fan base agrees with me. I just have a hunch that this guy's really good, and the fact that they called about him, if that's true, kind of stands out to me as. Yeah, that's that's an interesting move. It's just an interesting little thing, well, little tidbit. Yeah, I think they're op- they've been they're always been open to trying to get quarterbacks, even though they haven't drafted them. Um, you know, it was known before the 2017 draft that they would have drafted Pat Mahomes if he was there in the 20s. I mean, I I, I was told that before the draft. Not that they knew for sure Mahomes was going to be as great as he is, but they loved that they loved him as a talent. I think that that doesn't they mean love- they hate Wilson. No, but they would love to have an alternative to Wilson. Okay. I mean, why wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to have somebody else lined up um, in the pipeline? I mean, if you look at uh, the general manager, John Schneider, comes from Green Bay. Well, that's what Ron Wolf used to always do. You know, they had Brett Favre, but they still got Ty Detmer and Mark Brunel, and mm-hmm. even Kurt Warner was there for a cup of coffee. So you're you're always the idea that you're always looking. Well, they haven't done that very well in Seattle. They've used those picks for other players. Uh, but when they did love a quarterback in Wilson, they took him, even though they had Flynn, right? Right. They just give Flynn decent money at yeah. that point, right? And Sorry. like I said, even though they love Wilson, they would have taken Mahomes. So um, I think it all depends on who else is there that you really like. I kind of like Brissett too. I just, um, I mean, so you're going to pay him in a year? You know, you, <laughs> do you want to have an expensive Brissett in two years? When you yeah, don't know I mean, for sure how good he is, I mean, I just he would be uh, most expensive quarterback in the league, expensive, but he's not going to be five eight million dollars a year either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, I mean, if he plays well, so I don't know. It's, it's it's interesting. I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of smoke. There's potential for something. I think that, that they could they could do something. It just feels to me like I felt like the most logical thing was that neither side had a huge incentive to do a deal because. Uh, Wilson's already made seventy-four million. 
So Wilson doesn't have to take a compromise deal. He can play this thing out, and he's still going to be young enough that he could be a Kirk Cousins-style free agent if he really wanted to push it a few years down the road and still make good money along the way. I mean, this year it's only 17. We say only 17. Oh, like 17 is not a lot. But, you know, for <laughs> right, quarterback. Right. And then he goes 30, 36, 52 on the franchise tag. So it's not that long away, and you pocket a lot of money. Um, in the meantime, from the team standpoint. Um, the worst deal ever. That's yeah, not, that's the team not that standpoint. Bad. 17 this year, 30 next year, and 36 next year comes out to three years and 83. They basically have him for the Kirk Cousins deal. That's I really think that's the best way to look at it. If you look at what right now he is on a three for 83 guaranteed contract. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, now the, to me, the big lever in all of this is how far is Russell Wilson willing to go to leverage a new deal? You know, or leverage a trade, leverage the best possible deal. Now, would he, you know, make this be a story? Would he, uh, you know, hold out? I think those types of things could really push it. Um, in the meantime, I would think you're strong enough as an organization to weather talk radio and me and you and and people from media speculating and wondering what could possibly happen. It just doesn't feel like you have to make a move off that. Could be wrong. I mean, I've texting back and forth today with people in the league, some who, you know, think something could happen. So, um, you just, hmm. you just, you know, you know, I just waited out. Yeah. It's, there's, it's kind of a, a dull time in the season because everyone's on lockdown. We're going to talk about that here in a minute, but this is sort of bubbling, you know, this is the one story that is, it raises an eyebrow, like, hmm, they just keep hearing more and more yeah. about it. Um, yep. folks, I mentioned we are brought to you by mock out and I've told you about them before. Mockout is the best way to make a mock draft, and it's the only app where you can enter a mock draft contest. So making a mock draft without entering a contest is kind of like filling out a March Madness bracket and then just throwing it away. So what's the point of that? Make a mock draft contest for you and your friends and put your draft knowledge to good use. And you can also join my private Locked On NFL contest. Go to mockout.com slash Locked On NFL, and you can join my private contest. So when you have a rooting interest in every pick, when every pick matters, draft days is so much better and so much more fun. So go to mockout.com, download the free app, and own the draft. All right, Mike, we are back, and I kind of mentioned that it's an odd time of year, and I don't know that most people realize what's going on in NFL buildings right now. And I think you and I bring a really interesting and different perspective on that because I asked you off the scenes, like, are you comfortable talking about this time of year? And you're kind of like, well, I sort of go into hibernation this time of year because no one tells you anything that I can trust. Can, can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think it's really well said. Well, think about this. When the mock drafts come out, people miss like who the first pick's going to be. <laughs> right, right. Think of that. Last year, Baker Mayfield, and there was a couple people I'm sure who got it, it was Baker Mayfield, but people had no idea. Or they had an idea, but you just don't know. So, um, so much of my relationships with people around the league are um, based on analyzing what's going on in the league. You know, so it's more like, hey, what could a team do? What, uh, what do we think of what teams did? What my stuff is not, um, hey, who are you guys going to pick? You know what I mean? The, mm -hmm. the, and you know from being with the team that once people start asking you those types of things, um, it gets really uncomfortable really fast because <laughs> you've got a job with the team and, um, you know, you're not, number one, you may not know who your team's going to pick. 
<laughs> Maybe only one guy of, in the building knows, and, and it's only if these six guy. guys are off the board or whatever, too. Right? Isn't that amazing to think that sometimes right. the, the, the team, I know guys with teams that they did not know. I mean, they did not know their, who their team was going to pick. And haven't we heard situations recently where, like, maybe even the head coach wasn't sure, you know, coming right down to the stretch. So it's a very secretive time in the league. And it's a very uncertain time because, like we said, the the player projection and evaluation part is, is crapshoot. I mean, people don't really know for sure how who the good players are going to be. And uh, that adds a whole other layer of it. So, um, you know, I, I always love it when the draft's over. It just feels like... It just feels like such a disingenuous time. Hibernation. <laughs> the bears come out for spring and, you know, they, they leave their, their nests. And, you know, I mean, like, because that's really what it's like. It's like, I'll just take a second to tell people how I experienced it with the Browns, which is pretty typical from what I understand. And every team is different, of course. But really, this time of year, they might be having linebacker meetings all day. You know, you get there early. Maybe you get an hour to go work out and eat lunch and stuff, but you're there 12, 15 hours or whatever, vertically stacking your linebackers. And every scout's in there because they all have their areas. GM, of course, defensive coordinator, linebacker coach, but your safety coach isn't in there. Your wide receiver coach isn't in there. And you're going through linebacker after linebacker and people are reading reports and, oh, maybe we should move this guy up and then we should move this guy down. And the other aspect of it, too, is everyone's like, oh, they know who they're going to pick. Well, there's still some data out there that people don't know yet in the buildings. A lot of medical, you want to get, you know, the visits are still happening where you're going to spend the whole day with some of these prospects. They might leave at the end of the day and be like, I don't want to draft that guy. I mean, I, I don't see, I thought I liked him better with the 15 minutes I sat down with him at the combine than spending all day and eating lunch with him here and all those things. And then finally, you kind of get together as a group, too, and you look at all these vertical columns. Okay, our linebackers are all stacked this way. Our safeties are all stacked this way. One, two, three, four, five. But then you go, if the third round rolls around and our fourth safety's on the board, our third wide receiver, and our eighth guard, then you got to stack them all horizontally, too. So that's a big project. And, you know, linebacker day might be two days. It might, you know, so there's, they really are hunkered down and... You know, from where you sit, if I'm hearing things out of buildings, first off, like you said, I'm not sure that that person even knows the answer, unless it's an unbelievable source, because it changes throughout that day. And also, like, they don't have time. I mean, they're not even really talking to agents all that much about, you know, guys that are still on the street or, you know, Jay Ajayis and people like that. I mean, the pro guy is, but he's involved in the draft, too. So they're just really busy right now. They're bears hibernating. They are, and there's so many combinations of what could happen. They're all impacting on that. Or like right. you said, scarcity in a position. You could suddenly be down to, hey, um, the last 4-3 strong side linebacker just went off the board that we think can play in the league. In or, our or, system. Or there's one left. There's one left. And, and we don't have him rated as high as any of these four corners, but these four corners are all there still. So you know what? We better grab our linebacker. Yeah. That wasn't something that was predicted necessarily going into the draft. Um, you know, I think even the teams couldn't predict, um, you know, they can't, if you were to have every GM do his mock draft, I don't think they would get the top 10 picks, right? No. And, and once, you know, it's, it's like Jenga too. Once you miss one, then it's a domino effect and everyone's, it's a mess. 
But I will tell people that they still do, and even back in the day, they had Mel's book, and sure. they listened to McShay and all these guys, Matt Miller and all these people, because, you know, the draftnicks now are pretty dialed in, and they have good opinions, and I think that they look at mock drafts as guides to the NFL teams to say, man, if this corner class is as weak as we think it is, we better get our guy in the first two rounds, or we're not going to get a corner, you know what I mean? And, yeah. And lastly, kind of like I mentioned, it's easy for us in the media to say this defensive tackle is better than this defensive tackle. But if you run a certain scheme and you're only after a certain type of player at that scheme, there may only be three of them in this draft that fits that need for you. You know, boy, we need a scat back or we need a slot receiver or we, you know, and we're not willing to spend a top two round pick on it because we have bigger needs. So we have three guys to pick from in the whole draft to fit that bill. And boy, two Absolutely. just went, you know. Like, and they, they'll have an internal, so their internal lists will sometimes have scheme specific uh, positions on the player. And so mm-hmm. like, like uh, you know, I, I live in uh, Seattle and I go over to the Seahawks sometimes for their drafts. And they're in Pete Carroll's scheme, you know, that Leo defensive end, right? That stand-up defensive end. Well, they, they have guys just named Leo. They're, 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 they're labeled as a Leo. Well, that's not in anyone else's necessarily board, except unless you're Dan Quinn or somebody running their exact defense. But on the, you know, uh, when the positional previews come out on ESPN or wherever, they don't necessarily have the same label that Seattle has specific to their scheme or what the Giants might have specific to theirs or what the Raiders might have specific to theirs. So um, it is that specific. And I think it makes it, it makes it a little more challenging sometimes to project, but it can also make it easier. If you really know that team, then you can say, ah, you know what? I don't think this is the type of player they would actually take. Yeah. That's, uh, two that's a huge part of this. Understand what the other teams do. And I, th- right. I think that's key for projecting. You know, like, I'm going to stick it where I'm from, the AFC North. Marvin Lewis was in Cincinnati for so long. The Steelers and the Ravens have had the same staffs for so long that if you ask any of their scouts, they're like, oh, I knew the Ravens were going to take that guy. You know, like, yep. <laughs> there's no doubt that that's going to be a Raven. If we don't take him, there's no chance he lasts three more picks. Like, those three teams knew each other extremely well. And you, I'm sure that's true all around the league. Like, oh, that's a Belichick guy. You know, like, there's no hiding yep. it after a while. And then just the last note on that, because I'm not sure people realize this, is as a as a team, we graded, I don't know, four or 500 players. I mean, you go into Pitt, and deep down you know there's only three draftable players, but you still write up three or four others that are seniors that that director of ops has on the list, and you at least have to get an eye on them. Maybe you find a guy. But in the end on the board, there's 32 teams times you know, seven rounds plus comp picks, but you might only have 150 people on the board because some of them just don't fit your scheme. And in the end, it's not like you're, they're all gone either. Like everyone's real big board. We call it our front board because then all the other guys were on the left. They were on their other board and they were, if breaking case of emergency type guys or undrafted free agents. But we think we had 140, 150 guys that were really on our seven round board and we didn't need that many. Yep. And you're also projecting then um, who's not going to be drafted, who's going to be available after the draft that might fit what we want to do. You know, I think yeah. that's, that's a, a, a big part of this. So lots of moving parts and uh, lots of people in those, you know, in the building. Some of them aren't being listened to at all. And some of them are. And uh, um, in the end, 
you know, you try to come together and have a consensus on who you're going to pick. But even that is tenuous because you don't know who everyone else is going to pick. You don't know yeah. who's going to be there. So you, you start looking at the number of possible combinations I mean, um, and it, it is mind blowing. I'm certainly was closer to the not being listened to as opposed to the listened to crew. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that was my job, which was pretty cool, was, okay, Matt, we have ten grand to spend on three undrafted wide receivers. We took Braylon Edwards at three. He was our number one player on the board. So we knew we weren't going to go receiver really the rest of the draft. We got ten grand in about the fifth, sixth round. He started calling people. And Josh Cribbs was there, and he was right down the street from Kent. And I gave him like 9.5 of the 10, 10 grand and Paul Warfield sealed the deal. And Josh Cribbs came to the, came to the Browns because I called him a hundred times, you know, and I don't awesome. even know who the other two dudes were. So, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> you know, it, that's, that's, you know, what people are busy the whole time. It's a pretty cool deal. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned before we're brought to you by mocked out. You got to go check that stuff out. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. I just want to talk about a couple more teams with Mike. All right, Mike, last week we pumped up your annual article about the different teams and how free agency and trades in the offseason have treated them. It's an awesome article on ESPN.com. You all have to go check that out. Mike goes around the league and talks to GMs and scouts and people behind the scenes and gets views of what other teams did. And I just wanted to bring up like maybe two or three teams at most and just get your thoughts of what the league thinks of them because... Atlanta is interesting to me because they didn't do a whole heck of a lot, but they get a lot of injured guys back on defense. I think Matt Ryan is a vastly underrated stud quarterback. You know, Freeman comes back. I think they're a pretty well-coached group. They added some guards, which seemed like an overpriced move, but I think Atlanta is going to be a rebound team. They should be. You know, they worry me a little bit, Matt, just because I feel like there's a ton of pressure there. Um, you know, when you when you fire all your coordinators after the year, and some of them had short runs together, that feels like a lot of pressure coming from above from the owner. And so, um, you know, to bank it all on one season, that's what it feels like to me. Like, this is just a huge make-or-break season um, in Atlanta. And I do think they are going to get some players back um, that should help them. And I think... You know, Dirk Cutter coming in as a head coach who's called offense before and did a nice job with Tampa Bay's offense. You know, maybe that helps get them back and, and over the top. But you're, you could be right that just being healthy, being healthy is a huge part of the equation for them. The defense. I mean, it's such an active defense, that Seattle-style defense. They're built on speed and the Deion Joneses and Keanu Neals that really run and roam the middle of the field just weren't there. I mean, they were playing you know, it, with handcuffs on on defense last year. Yeah, but should your whole defense collapse, you know, when sure. uh, you're just losing a couple guys? I mean, it's not like they lost, uh, you know, Bruce Smith uh, that I noticed, uh, at least. So there's a little bit of a concern there. You know, I, 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 I'm not – I think they have a good roster, but I would have expected their defense to be a little better. And if you look at them just – like I've done this, Basically, if you go back and if you compare the two eras, Mike Smith versus uh, Dan Quinn. So Mike Smith's like 2008 to 14 and Quinn is 15 to now. And you just look at where the Falcons rank on offense and defense. And I, I use ESPN's got great um, efficiency metrics that I really like. It's like the same. <laughs> wow. You know, the offense is in the top 10 and the defense is sort of in the bottom 10. And I know they had a nice spike up in one year on defense, but there's not a... There's not a big track record of great defense that's been played there. So that's why 
while they did, they were better and they looked like they were trending in the right direction defensively, I don't think it's just an automatic that you become a top 10 defense in Atlanta. That's well said and really interesting. And it, but it also brings me to the point, too, like if you look at the final four teams, you know, the Rams, the Chiefs, Saints, some of these teams, you can win in this league like that now. You know, if, oh, yeah. the Chiefs are a perfect example. If you can create big plays on defense, maybe you don't stop anybody, but you get an extra sack here and there and, you know, pick up a fumble and you get to the football and you play in shootouts, that's winning football now. Yeah, but, I mean, the, the Chiefs are scoring like 35, 36 a game, and I think mm. when Atlanta was doing that, you know, with that historic year offensively in Shanahan. 2016 when Shanahan's there and Matt Ryan's league MVP, um, yeah, you can go a long way scoring 35 points a game. But are they going to do that? I mean, that that that's just, you know, not realistic to be that great offensively consistently. Yeah, I hear what you're saying there, too. Um, last team I want to bring up is the Broncos because – I think the tea leaves show us that their seat might be a little hot, including the Hall of Fame quarterback who's running the show. And I know there's a lot of people saying they're going to take Drew Locke or it's time to add their quarterback. I tend to think I've been, you know, we've been doing this a while and I tend to think that it might be a linebacker or a tight end or a win now position because they better win now. I mean, do you want to draft Drew Locke for the next coaching staff? Well, I mean, it's, John Elway is always treated as win now. You know, I don't see a huge change that they're suddenly going to try to be good this year. I mean, they've been firing coaches left and right for years to try to get this thing right. So I think there is, you know, pressure there um, to do well. And uh, I think they have a good coaching staff. I mean, I think Vic Fangio's good. I think uh, Munch Munchak's a nice underrated addition. So, um, you know, Scheme-wise, we'll see with the offensive coordinator, but that type of scheme should be positive for Flacco. So I kind of look for them to be, you know, they're not going to be as great as they've been on defense a few years ago, but I think they should be in the top half of the league with a chance to be top 10 and then, you know, get that offense at least to middle of the pack. And you're probably a team that could be 500. Maybe, maybe you come out a game or two on the positive side of that if things go well. Um, how do you see them? I expect Flacco to be an upgrade, but I don't think he's going to be a top 15 quarterback. I mean, I think they'll get better quarterback play. I know they'll get better offensive line play. You know, I'm that much of a believer in Munchak, and they spent a fortune on a right tackle. Maybe they'll add some help there in the draft. And that in itself, to me, means the offense is going to be better. You know I mean? Better quarterback play, better O-line play. Everything else will fall into place. I don't know that the defense is... I mean, I, I think you called it a top 10 defense, and I'm on board there. I'm just not sure it's one of the better defenses in the league. But if you add Devin White from LSU to be the, you know, the, or Hawkinson, you know, a stud pick in that early first round, I think they could be a really interesting team and do damage and maybe end up in the playoffs. But tough division, I just don't see a, a Drew Locke being this year's, you know, or something like that. I just don't see a first-round quarterback being in the mix for them. Yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree. I mean, I, I think getting Flacco means you don't have to do that. You know, uh, they're not going to feel like it. They're going to feel like they got Flacco for a couple more years, and they can worry about that. You know, I think it always with quarterbacks. You know, the the key variable is that, does someone fall in love with the guy? You know, and I think we can say that with anybody. John Gruden, if he falls in love with the guy, could they draft a quarterback? Absolutely. And no one would ever blame but, him. You should blame him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So is there somebody that John Elway you know loves in the draft? Well. 
I think if there were, they might not have gone after Flacco. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they would be gunning for that guy one way or the other. So um, I do think, though, defensively, they they became just average last year. Right, uh, right. I think defensively. So and so I think they've got to bounce back. And I think that they, they will be better. But the days of them being a top three defense, I you know, could be over. I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't think they're very strong up the middle. Um, <laughs> folks, that's a wrap. Mike, thanks so much. Please check out Mock Out. The app is excellent. And speaking of mocks, this upcoming tomorrow and going forward, we have a Locked On NFL huge project. Every host is making picks, and I'm going to kind of be the McShay-Kuyper analyst. So that starts tomorrow. You'll enjoy it quite a bit. I think it's going to be like a five-part series. So thanks so much. Over and out.